It's good to be reunited here in the hub on a Sunday morning uh, in spite of the weather, in spite of the uh, Penn State football just tanking, man. I don't know what's going on. You need to pray for them, folks, man. You need to pray. They, they need the power of the Holy Spirit breathing on them. And, uh, but uh, nonetheless, we're glad to be worshiping here together in this place. Uh, if you are new, if you're joining us here um, uh, this morning, we're in the middle of a series here at ACF uh, called Oddballs, Oddballs, and um, this is a series based out of the book of First Peter, uh, and uh, we come to our third installment of this series. In fact, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there now to First Peter, and we're going to be looking at chapter 3, chapter 3. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you just go ahead and raise your hand. We have some folks coming around. They could hook you up with the Bible here, and uh, if you don't personally own a copy of the Bible, consider this our gift to you. This is our, it, we don't expect it to be returned. Uh, you could take it home with you, uh, and uh, volunteer if you come around and uh, distribute those. If you are following along in these Bibles, we're on page 1016. 1016 is where we are here today. Uh, by the way, if you missed any of our previous messages in this series, we're in part three, but if you missed any of the messages, you can catch them on our website. Uh, they're all uploaded there, videos, but, uh, uh, and, and also we're on iTunes, and you can subscribe to our podcast. You can listen, and you could be all caught up that way. But uh, just go ahead for now. Open up to 1 Peter chapter 3, and hold your place there. We're going to get to today's passage here in just a moment. Um, if you've been tracking with us in this series called Oddballs, uh, up until this point, we've talked about how, how this, this letter, again, this is, this is a letter written by the Apostle Peter. Uh, we call it a book of the Bible because it's one of the compilations, part of the compilation of, of God's Word. But this is a letter written by Peter. Uh, and in this letter, uh, Peter tells us that we as followers of Jesus, okay, so listen, if you're here and you identify yourself as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian, as a believer in, in this faith, um, Peter tells us that you are intended and designed to be a little weird, Good news, right? I mean, praise the Lord. Like, God tells us that you are designed, in fact, you are called by God to be a little different, to be a little odd according to the world's standards. Hence the title of our series, Oddballs. In other words, if you're a follower of Jesus, Peter seems to be indicating that, that your life should look fundamentally different from those who are in the world. That, that it, it's actually supposed to be that way. So, that, so the, the, the choices that you make in this world and in this life should look different the, 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 the way you go about decision-making should look different. The, the way you go about perceiving certain things, the, thinking upon certain things, should look different. The way your relationships play out, how you cultivate and develop relationships in your life should look different. All of that should look vastly different from those who have not bowed their knee to the lordship of Jesus, to those folks in the world. It should look different. Your life should look different different. Now, if you're anything like me at this point in the series, perhaps for some of you it came earlier on, maybe at the first, uh, from the outset of the series, you felt this little uh, tug in your own gut. You felt this internal tension, a bit of a rub with this notion of being different from the world. It, it, maybe for some of you, you you're like, man, I, I, I get it, I feel, like, I feel like I understand conceptually what you're saying, but practically speaking, I don't know that if I want to be that different from the rest of the world. 
Now, I, I, I grew up in New York City, you know, as many of you know, so like you, you walk the streets of New York City, it doesn't take you very long to run into some oddballs, right? Like you, you just, just, just go down, you know, Fifth Avenue or just go walk through Times Square. Times Square is a hub for weirdos. I mean, you, you, it doesn't take very long for you to run into some oddballs on the streets of New York City. Now, if you're like me, my tendency is, is when I come across someone who I feel like is a little bit off their rocker, you know, like I'm, I'm like, something's quite not right with them. My tendency is to avoid them, right? Like walk down the street, son, don't make eye contact. Just, just, just keep your distance. Keep your hands to yourself. Don't say anything to them. It's just let them be mind your own business. You, you avoid oddballs. You avoid weirdos on the street. Now, if, if you're tracking along in the series, and the message that Peter seems to be indicating is, hey, you're supposed to be an oddball. You're supposed to be a little bit weird. There might be some of us who say, I don't know that I want to be that. I don't know that I want to be treated like the guy in the underwear with the guitar on Times Square singing a song. I don't know that if I want, I don't, I don't want people to avoid me when I come walking down the street. And some of us, we hear this call to be different, and, and, and maybe for some of us, we have sort of inadvertently fallen into this us versus them mentality. Okay, so the Bible says we're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be different from the world. And, and again, inadvertently, I think in our minds, we've created this, this, this line of division that says, okay, here we are as oddballs for Jesus, worshiping in the hub, and then there's them. The world, the rest of the world. And now I don't think that we're even saying that we somehow intuitively think that we're better than them, but I think consequently when we separate ourselves out as oddballs, what we're doing is we're drawing a line in the sand and saying, here's us and here's them. And many of us don't know what to do with that tension. We're like, I don't, I don't, I don't know how I, I should feel about that because I don't... I don't like being about us versus them. And, and folks, ACF is not about a place of division. We are not a divisive church. We're an inclusive church. The doors are wide open to anyone and everyone who wants to explore Jesus and faith in Christ. And so we don't want to be about us versus them. But how do we be different in this world? And so the question I want us to wrestle with here today is, how can we as oddballs for Jesus engage the world in meaningful ways? How do we as oddballs for Jesus engage the world in meaningful, profound ways? In other words, how can we live holy lives, uphold the sacred call of God on our lives? Remember what Peter said in chapter 1, to be holy as God is holy. If you're a follower of Jesus, that is the call of God on your life. And so in that call, how do we uphold that call to be different, to be a little weird, to be a little odd while avoiding alienating others? Because we don't want to be about that life. We don't want to be about alienating others. But we also don't want to forsake the call of God to be holy as God is holy. So how do we do that? How do we engage the world in meaningful ways? Well, I remember I came across this one verse in 1 Peter chapter 3. This was months ago. Months ago, just in my own personal study time. And it was almost as if the Holy Spirit was writing out, weaving in and out, and saying, saying to me, Dan, this is how you engage the world without forsaking the call to be different. This is, how you, this is how you avoid creating this chasm of relatability. Because I, I know that's, that's another thing that, that has come up in, in our minds. Well, if we're to be so different, are you suggesting that we are to be virtually unrelatable to the rest of the world? How can we be so different and still relate to the very people that we're trying to connect with and reach and develop relationships with? 
And here in 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter begins to tell us how we can engage the world in this meaningful way. And we're going to pick it up from verse 13, and we're going to carry it through verse 17. It's a, it's a relatively short passage. And in fact, we're going to spend most of our time here today looking at that one verse uh, that the Holy Spirit used to kind of speak to me on it. And my, my prayer is that the Lord might speak to you in the same way he spoke to me through this verse. But let's pick it up from verse 13, uh, and uh, we'll also have it up here on the screen if you don't have it in front of you. First Peter chapter 3, verse 13. Hear the word of the Lord. It says this. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Now, pause right there. Remember who Peter's writing this letter to. He's writing to the persecuted Christians. He's writing to the, to, to, the, to the followers of Jesus who are trying to follow Christ and do good with zeal, right? You are zealous for doing what is good, and they're trying to live righteous lives. You're suffering for righteousness' sake. Peter recognizes all that. He says, I get it. I see it all. And in the midst of that, Peter encourages them by saying, have no fear. Don't be troubled. In other words, don't be surprised that you're facing this. Because this is the way it's supposed to be. You're supposed to be different. And people are going to dislike you for being different. People are going to be, be, be antagonistic towards you for being different. Now, in the midst of this, Peter shows us how to engage a hostile world with people who don't subscribe to the same faith that you and I subscribe to, the Christian faith. He shows us how we are to respond in situations where we stand out as the odd man out. Now, I don't know about you, but as I began to think about this, I began to think about how it, in a lot of ways, this, this kind of feels like who we are in the place that we find ourselves in, in the campus of Penn State. Now, I'm not saying that if you're a follower of Jesus on the campus of Penn State that you're experiencing the kinds of persecution that the early church was experiencing. I mean, I, last I checked, no one's taken Christians out on old main lawn and executing them and killing them. I, I have not seen that yet. If you have, please report it, okay? That's not, it's, it's just not a good thing going on. But I haven't seen that. I'm not saying that we're experiencing the kinds of persecution that the early church was experiencing, but may I suggest that if you are a Christian on the campus of Penn State, you are a minority by far. I mean, in the sea of 40,000 plus, 45,000 plus students, to be able to stand, I, I, it's, it's just, this is so funny. I, I've seen this encounter happen time and time again where, you know, you're, you're a Christian and, and you're in class or you're going through campus and you come across another Christian. You didn't know that they were a Christian. And it's like you spotted a unicorn. It's like, you're a Christian too? So am I. You love Jesus. So do I. Let's go hand, hand in hand, frolic through, through the fields together, right? Let's go to the Arboretum and be with Jesus, right? And there's this, like, there's this moment of epiphany. It's like, wow. What does that communicate? What is that communicating? It's communicating that you, as a follower of Jesus, are the odd man out in a world that doesn't subscribe to the same belief systems that you do. By the way, if you're in that place, if you don't identify yourself as a Christian or as a believer or a follower of Jesus, can I just say, I am so glad you're here. Please know that. 
If you're here today and you, you have not bowed your knee to the Lordship of Christ or you're just checking out church, you're trying to check out this whole Christianity thing, welcome. You are welcome back anytime, any time of day. In fact, I will give you my personal cell phone number. You could call me up and hound me and, and with any questions or, or just trying to process through some stuff. We're glad you're here. We're glad you're here. But if you are a follower of Jesus, if you do identify yourself as a Christian, we've got to be able to get a handle on how do we engage in the world around us where we are indeed the odd man out. And right here in this next verse, Peter begins to tell us how to deal with the world around us. And this is the verse that the Holy Spirit used to speak deeply into my life. Peter begins by writing, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy as holy. You see, if you want to engage the world in meaningful ways, friends, you've got to start with worship. You've got to start with worship. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Now, when I say start with worship, I'm not suggesting that you start every conversation with a song. Okay, that's, that, that would be weird. Don't do that. Uh, you know, that, that, I'm, what I'm saying is we're not talking about singing as we would normally think about worship. Worship is not exclusive to singing, and singing is just a part of what we do in worship. Now, when I say worship, what I'm talking about is the concept of beholding. Beholding. Looking upon, gazing upon, thinking upon, beholding. Worship is, is essentially beholding, recognizing something as, as worthy of our attention, of our affection, of our adoration. Wherever your affections, your attention, and adoration goes, that is what you worship. It's what you behold. Is that is what you worship. Beholding is worship. Worship is beholding. In fact, friends, if I can suggest to you, that which you behold is what you become. Whatever you behold is what you will inevitably become. And so when we behold the holiness of Christ, guess what happens? We become holy as Christ is holy. When we behold the beauty of Christ, guess what happens? We become reflections of God's beauty in a broken world. When we behold the compassion of Jesus, guess what happens? You become the compassionate heartbeat of Jesus in a needy, broken world. What you behold is what you become. Another way of putting it would be this way. What you expose yourself to is what you espouse to. That is, you attach yourself to the things that you expose yourself to. What you become, what you behold is what you become. That is why we need to start with worship and beholding Christ. Because, friends, let me tell you right now, the world doesn't need more of us. It needs more of Jesus. The world doesn't need to behold us. The world doesn't need to behold more of Dan Min's glory. I got a lot of it, but I, the world doesn't need more of that, okay? The world doesn't need a whole lot of that. The world doesn't need your glory. The world doesn't need your beauty. The world doesn't need your compassion and all of that. The world needs to see Jesus. Perhaps we go back to the prayer of John the Baptist in John chapter 3. What did he pray? Jesus, more of you. More of you and less of me. The world needs to see more of you, Jesus, not more of me. The world has enough more of me. I, I mean, if you've got a Facebook account, the world has enough of you, okay? If you've got an Instagram, Snapchat, the world has enough of you. The world doesn't need more of you. The world needs more of Jesus. Jesus, more of you. 
more of you and less of me. That's what happens when you behold Jesus. That which you behold is what you become. That, was, that, is, that is the place. And so we start with worship. If we want to have a meaningful engagement with the people around us in the world today, in the context that we're living in, we need to start with worship. Worship and missions can never be separated. I love what John Piper says. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Understanding with this concept that, that, that God wants all people to be worshiping him, beholding him, beholding his son Jesus, and therefore he equips us and calls us to missions. To say, hey, go out, go out, call people to behold my son. That which you behold is what you become. Start with worship. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. He goes on and he says, always being prepared to make a defense. So after starting with worship, we need to do our homework. I know some of you are like, man, I had enough homework. I have enough assignments. I don't need more homework from the pastor, from the church that I'm attending. But I'm going to give you a little bit of homework. And that is, after starting with worship, you need to be fully prepared. You need to be fully prepared. Let me, let me ask you, for those of you who call yourselves Christians, if someone were to pull you to the side today and ask you, can you explain to me why you're a Christian? Would you have a response? If someone, let's say you were going out of the hub today and, 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 and someone, not that this would happen because I've, I've yet to see this happen, but someone, they were stirred by the Holy Spirit of God and they grabbed you and they said, hey, tell me, Tell me, why do you follow Jesus? Why do you follow Christ? Why are you a Christian? Would you have an adequate response? As you heard earlier uh, during announcements, we have a, a baptism service coming up at, at the end of this semester. We have one of these at the end of every semester. We love to celebrate new life in Christ. We love to celebrate how God has changed people's lives. And, and what we do is we have every baptizee share their story. Every person who's getting baptized gets up and shares their story, whether it's two minutes or whether it's 20 minutes. They, they share their story. We try not to go on the 20-minute length, but, but we, try to, we try to have them share their story. And, and prior to the actual service, I, I usually sit down with the individual along with one of our elders, and, and we sit down and, and we have a time just to hear their story, to hear their, hey, tell, tell, tell us your story. Now, for a lot of people, when I say, tell me your story, they go blank. They're like, I... I don't know what you're, what you're referring to. How far do you want to go back? Like birth to like, you know, like I can tell you about my adolescent years. You know, they, those, are, those are great, but, but my middle school years, those are terrible. I could really go into that if you want, and we can pray together on that because I'm still grieving some stuff, healing some stuff, you know, like, but, but what, what exactly are you saying? So a lot of people, they have a hard time knowing how to share their story. And so here's a simple question that I ask them. I say, hey, um, for our meeting, when you come in to share your story, um, here's, I just want you to answer this one simple question. What difference did Jesus make in your life? That's it. Tell me what difference Jesus made in your life. And folks, if, if you can't answer that question, we've got some homework to do. And so I say, what difference did Jesus make in your life? That is your story. That's your testimony. By the way, how many of you know your story isn't just what Jesus did for you? It's what Jesus is continuing to do in you. He ain't done writing your story. 
A lot of people, when they think about their story, they think, well, my conversion point, right? That's, that's what you want to hear. My testimony of how I came to Christ. Yes, that is part of your story. And that is what we're celebrating at baptism. But that is only a part of your story. Jesus isn't done writing your story. And so another question to process through, along with what did Jesus do for you, the question is, what is Jesus doing in my life today? What is Christ teaching me currently? That is all part of your story. Your story isn't once and done, I met Jesus, thank you, hallelujah, and now here I am today. Your story is being continued to write, to be written by the great author of your life. He's writing your story right now. And so what is God doing in my life here today? I say this often, but I'll say it again, church. The best and easiest way to be prepared to share your faith is to know your story. Know your story. And that might require some of you to take an hour or two on a Saturday afternoon and go on a walk with a, with a journal or with your laptop and write it out. Actually write it out. I had one of my elders do this uh, not too long ago, and, and after doing so, he came to me and he said, Dan, I, I, I'll tell you what, I, I have never seen so clearly how God has worked in my life until I actually took the time to write out my story to see what difference Jesus has made in my life up until this point, to write out what God is teaching me right now. You see, the problem, I think, for many of us is that isn't that God isn't moving in our lives. The problem is God has moved, and we just forgot about it, and we forgot how he moved. And so when the, the opportunity presents itself for you to share your story, you're just kind of scratching your head being like, I know God did something in my life. I just don't know what. Know your story. Be fully prepared. Be fully prepared by knowing your story. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense. Now here's the next part. To anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason. Now what is being implied here? Not everyone is asking. Friends, don't answer questions that people aren't asking. We start with worship, we do our homework, and be fully prepared, but then you speak into curiosity. You speak into curiosity. You don't, you don't badger people and, and, and knock people on the door until they are deaf in the ear. If people aren't curious, they don't care to hear. They don't care to hear. I'll tell you what, a curious soul is fertile soil for the gospel. Someone who is curious, someone who is searching, someone who is asking questions, is fertile soil for the gospel. It's far easier to share your faith with someone who is deeply curious and searching than trying to share your faith with someone who just doesn't give a rip. Have you ever, have you ever been there? They're like, I want you to know Jesus. And they're like, I don't care. I'm not even the slightest bit curious about this Jesus that you're talking about. Pray for them and move on. And look for those opportunities when the Holy Spirit will bring it up, okay? I guarantee you, he will bring it up. Some of you are even recalling moments and friendships and relationships in your own life where he has brought it up, where people will ask curiously, hey, hey, tell me about this Jesus. Now, again, notice what Peter is saying here. He says, be ready to answer anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Notice the nature of our response. He doesn't say that you need to have a good handle 
on the existence of God. You need to be able to argue with the best of them all, the Christopher Hitchens out there, and all the, you need to be able to stand your ground and, and speak on the existence of God. You need to be able to sufficiently argue over the creation account. You need to be an expert on all sorts of theories, evolution, the Big Bang, old earth versus new earth, and all these things, yada, yada, yada. He doesn't say that. He says, you just need to give a reason for your hope in Jesus. In other words, just tell your story. Why have you chosen to place your hope in Christ? Now, the doctrine of all of that will come later in conversation. But in the, in the start of it, he says, hey, speak into curiosity. When people are asking, speak into it. And this is why here at ACF, we're passionately uh, committed to, to developing relationships you know, that, that's what we hope to do in our life groups all throughout the week. You know, we gather together to do life together, to speak into each other's lives. And I know for some of you, you're involved in other campus ministries and you have your own Bible studies. My hope is that that's happening, where you're developing these relationships where avenues for curious conversations begin to open up. I could guarantee you, listen, there's nothing against cold calls Nothing against approaching random strangers and asking them about Jesus. Nothing against that. There's a time and place for that. But you don't have to go to those extents to find curious people. You've got them in your own circles. By the way, if you're living a life that looks fundamentally different from everyone else around you, don't you think that would provoke some questions? If you're living a life that is seemingly strange to the outside world, that seems a little weird, that seems a little odd, don't you think the people that are closest to you, your friends who may not know Jesus, would be like, Grant, why do you do that? Well, why, why would you commit a whole weekend away with complete strangers and like just sing songs and listen to a message and play games? It's, it's just weird. Like, where, where's the beer? Where, where's the keg? Where, where's, like, I tell, where's the party? By the way, we party it up, people, all right? At ACF Retreat, we, we, we have a good time. We have a good time, except this last one where, you know, we, again, we watched the Ohio State game. We're not going to go there again. I keep going there, but it just, it's just, I'm grieving, people. I'm grieving, okay? Um, but, but when we live lives that don't make sense, that should provoke some questions, and when those questions come up, that is the Holy Spirit opening up the door and saying, hey, won't you speak into curiosity here? Don't answer questions that people aren't asking. But look for those moments of curiosity and speak into them. Speak into them. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Then finally, he closes out this verse by saying, yet do it with gentleness and respect. You start with worship. You be fully prepared. You speak into curiosity. But then you exercise gentleness and respect. You know, a lot of people, uh, I know for me, when I first read this passage, um, you know, a long, long time ago, a lot of people read this verse, and the thing that jumps out at them, at first and foremost, is to be prepared to make a defense. Be prepared to make a defense. In fact, a lot of apologists use this verse for their, uh, for their uh, defense of the faith, right? Like, you need, to, you need to defend the faith, defend the faith. And so what we end up doing is we take that concept of defending the faith and we immediately put on our theological boxing gloves. We slide them on, 
And we're like, I'm ready to defend. Let's go. Sorry, Gracie. I'm, I'm ready to defend. Right? And, and you approach... You approach engagement with the people around you and the world around you with people who may not know Jesus. You approach them with boxing gloves. Do you realize how ridiculous that would look if you actually came into a conversation looking like this? I mean, there's no room for curiosity there. But in our minds, we think we got to come into the, every conversation ready to defend our faith and, and, and win every argument and come out on top and prove everyone wrong that Jesus is the way, that Christianity is the way, this and that, this and that. And we come in like this. I heard one missionary say, it's far better to lose an argument than to lose a friend. Sometimes losing the argument is the bigger win than losing a friend, than losing a relationship. Some of you have lost relationships just because of arguments, and not theological necessarily, but it's the worst when you lose a friend over a theological argument. It's like, come on, we, there's, there's a bigger picture here. There, there's a bigger plan of God here. And, and so the goal isn't to win an argument. The goal is to exhibit gentleness and respect as Christ would in hopes that they might see Christ. That which we behold is what we become. Our hope is that we might exercise and exhibit gentleness and respect so that people might see Christ and be drawn to him. And we can't do that without a spirit of gentleness and respect. Can I just say this? Let me just state what might be obvious for some of us but doesn't come so naturally in the heat of the moment. Let me just remind you that the non-believers in the world, the people who don't subscribe to the same Christian faith that you and I subscribe to, the, the people who uh, don't believe the same stuff as you and I do, they're not the enemy. They're not the enemy. You're not going in trying to TKO like Mike Tyson's TKO. Like that you're not trying to knock him to the ground and knock him out cold. That is not the goal. The Bible says we got one enemy. He's the devil who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We got one enemy. And, and so the non-believers, the skeptics, the antagonists, the people who are vehemently against the Christian faith, they are not the enemy. I got news for you. Jesus gave his life for them. Jesus is deeply, passionately in love with them, as he is in love with every single one of us. That ought to change the way we approach some of our relationships in our lives. Approach them with gentleness and respect. Now, I'm not talking gentleness like, you know, like be a fairy, like, you know, like whatever. You're just like, you know, like it's all good, gentle, gentle. Like sometimes the gentleness of Christ shows up in tremendous strength. There's a reason why Jesus was recognized as the humble, gentle, meek king. Because it will strengthen that. No strength in that. And so exhibit yourself. Show up in people's lives with gentleness and respect. By the way, it's far easier to speak with gentleness and respect when you start with worship. When you behold Christ and his character, things like gentleness and respect will flow naturally. Do you see why we start with worship? We start with worship because Christ needs to change us before he uses us to change anyone else. Amen? You, you guys catch that, right? So we start with worship. Now, Peter closes out this passage, and we're going to wrap it up here. Verse 16, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil.
Folks, Peter says, being an oddball isn't easy. It comes with a cost. Sometimes people won't like you for being different, but Peter's encouragement is to continue to embrace your difference while you embrace those who are different from you. Embrace the nature of your difference while you simultaneously embrace those who are different from you. You see, the call of God is never alienation. Christ came for the ministry of reconciliation to bring man and God together. And he puts that same call on us. And so in our difference, Christ calls us to embrace those who are different from us. And the way we do that is by starting with worship, by beholding Christ and his character and his nature and allowing ourselves to become like him and doing our homework and being fully prepared with your story. And it's speaking into curiosity when those moments present itself and doing so with gentleness and respect as our Lord would. That's how you engage the world in meaningful ways while maintaining our call to be oddballs.